My name is Ryan Vincent, and uh, Jim is spending a little bit of time with his family. A couple of days ago, they celebrated the marriage of his youngest son, Max, and his uh, new bride, Haley, and I am sure that that was a great, great time. Um, last week, our last message of 2018, Jim preached a sermon entitled, A Grateful Look Back at 2018. And a few weeks ago, when he asked me if I would preach the, the follow-up to that, A Grateful Look Forward to 2019, I had to bear in mind that Jim has always told us ministers, never turn down an opportunity to preach or teach. And so I knew the answer was yes, I'll do it. And I am, I'm glad to be here this morning, and I'm, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation especially in light of trying to be thankful for something that's not yet happened. That's what we're going to try to do this morning. Try to be thankful for something that's not yet happened. As we reflected on 2018, we looked at, wow, God has done so much in this church in terms of going, gathering, and growing. We went, and we gathered, and we grew. And no, no praise to us, all, all glory to God and to the Spirit. And really the emphasis was just, look at how good Jesus is. And, and I was thinking through how that's true with trying to be grateful for something that's not even happened yet. There's a passage in um, the book of Ephesians. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians. We'll be hopping around in there. If you've got your phone, you can scroll to Ephesians. But Ephesians is an interesting letter that Paul writes to a church in Ephesus. And, and in it, the first three chapters are just these huge, grandiose thoughts about Jesus, about God, about the Spirit, about the gospel, about the unity of the church. And then, as we'll see here in a moment, in four, it takes a different turn. It's all tightly wound together. In fact, many contend that it's a tight race between the book of Ephesians and the book of Hebrews as to which is the most beautiful book in the New Testament. In terms of just this majestic writing about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. So in light of everything we've said, it all goes back to Jesus. Everything that we do is in response to Jesus. Everything that we experience is, is, is something because of Jesus, so our gratitude comes in response to Jesus. I want to, to kind of center our morning on this big passage in Ephesians 1, where Paul, it seems, cannot help but just say Jesus' name over and over and over again. It's this long-winded passage that just swirls around who Jesus is. And I want to use that to kind of set the baseline for everything that we're going to do today and then going forward in 2019. So turn with me to Ephesians 1. And I'm going to start in verse 3. And just notice how Jesus is dripping off of Paul's lips, off his pen here. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. What? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So it comes, the blessing comes in Christ. We were chosen in Christ. We're called to be blameless before him. 
In love, it says, he predestined us for adoption as sons. How? Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his, the Father's will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, that's in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. For what? As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And he continues, he says, in him, that's in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Why? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, all of it praise of his glory. That's one of those passages that you could read slowly over and over again, and then they could, like, you'd be fine with them just shutting my mic off and we're done. Like, reading that passage is in and of itself a bit of a worship service. And what I get is that Paul says, look, all of this is focused on Jesus. It's because of him. It's through him. It centers on him. And that's true. And everything that was good about last year, Jesus be praised. But what do we do with that truth? If it's true that Jesus is this incredible, incredible gift of God, he's God himself, and he, everything focuses on him, what do we do? Well, that's, that's the beautiful thing about the book of Ephesians. You see, for three chapters, it talks about Jesus and about the gospel like that. And then in chapter four, it turns and answers that question. Well, what do we do with this information, Paul? He says in Ephesians four, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. All these majestic cosmic truths about Jesus, we land on, therefore, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. There's a response that's required. Verse two, with all humility. This is explaining how we do that. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Wow. So the goodness of God, does that result in his praise or in our action? And the answer is, of course, it's both. So how are we doing with that? And for you, I just, how are you doing with that, with walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called? It's a new year, so maybe it's a good time to have a new plan to do that well. Or if, you're, if you've already got a great plan, it's a time to, to take on a new resolve, a new tenacity to do 2019 well. Maybe it's time for a resolution. I've never understood New Year's resolutions. I really haven't. Um, I've always kind of been of the mindset that if it's worth doing at all, we should have been doing it a while ago. I don't know what's so special about January 1st, but apparently they're very popular. 
Statistics say that many of you in this room have already made one this year. Statistics say that many of you have already failed to uphold those particular resolutions. And I'm interested in how they've been going. So I looked at at popular resolutions for last year. And there was, I mean, if the percentages don't add up in your mind, you could pick multiple resolutions. So in 2018, a certain swath of U.S. adults, these were some things that they resolved to do better in 2018. They chose, they said, I want to eat healthier, I want to get more exercise, and I want to save some more or some, in the first place, money. That's the largest section right there, 37%. Others say they want to focus on self-care, like get more sleep. Others say they want to read more. Awesome. Others say they want to make new friends, learn a new skill, get a new job, take up a new hobby. And then 32% of you were like me, no interest in such things, because if it was worth doing, I'd have done it on December 1st or November 1st or October 1st. Now, this is interesting because in my house, it's 50-50. I live with a woman who loves a good list, and she's a planner. I mean, literally, the inside of our closet door is coated with with like plans. She's like, I don't know if she's solving a murder or if she has plans for, but she's got all this stuff taped up on the inside of the, of the wall. She even had, she got a new treadmill for our bedroom and on it, she doesn't care what the numbers say. She's got like things to pray for. I mean, it's really admirable, but I just don't get like a list-based life. And she lives it, she loves it. And she loves a good resolution. And every year, at the end of the year, she asks me, do you have any resolutions? And I give her the speech that there's nothing special about January 1st. I'm already doing what I plan to be doing for the next little while. And when I need to pick up something else, I'll do that on February 1st. But the more I look at you people that love resolutions, the more I'm beginning to see their value. After all, It's rather biblical to have a little bit of a seasonal period of reflection, a a confined, like a set time where we, we do things again. I get that. And I don't know that I should be upset that anyone is saying that, okay, it's January, I'm gonna have a renewed focus on something good. That sounds awesome. The other thing that I see is a, as a real advantage to your resolution, people, Rachel, is that you have like a, a defined period of time that you can look at and evaluate. I, kinda, I don't operate that way, so I have a harder time making judgments as to how I've progressed. But you people that look at January 1st to December 31st as something special, you have like a, a time period that you can evaluate. And then you can make changes and next year do better or whatever. And so I get that and I like that. And I even don't mind any of these. I think they're actually all really good ideas. But these are just general concepts of Self-improvement, good. But what if there was something, like what if I could give you a better resolution to add on top of it? I'm not saying scrap any of these, go for it. But what if I could give you a bigger resolution to put on top of it? What if in 2019, 100% of us decided that we were gonna become more Christ-like? What if I put it, in 2019, I resolved to become more holy. In 2019, I commit to integrating the ideas of the kingdom into every aspect of my life at home. Could we, I mean, who's going to say no to that? That's a, you can't say no to that. Those are really good ideas, if I don't mind me saying. But listen, do these, add something else. And so we need something to aim at. Can you go to the next slide? The, the next one is, we're having this sign made for the church office. We want, the, we want this, this. These ideas govern kind of how we do things around here. We have a vision and we have a mission. And if those things sound like very similar things, the vision is what we want to be. The mission's how we plan to get there. So our vision 
is that we want to be known as a church that inspires people to live sacrificially for the cause of Jesus. Whether it's in this room or out in that city, we want people to understand that at Sunnybrook Christian Church, you will be inspired to live sacrificially for the cause of Jesus. We're not really interested in being a church with the greatest youth ministry, although we think a good youth ministry can contribute to this. This is what we're, what we're aiming for right here. And how are we going to get there? By helping people develop a relationship with Jesus, one. Two, helping them mature in their faith. Why? Because three, in order to reach the world around them. And if you really want to boil all that down to its most like, succinct idea, we want to go gather and grow to the praise of his glorious name. So in, uh, in 2019... We want to figure out how to do these things better. We want to achieve our vision by working through our mission to the praise of his glorious name. Now, instead of just spending the next 20-some-odd minutes telling you what you should do this year, I'm going to share instead the conversations that we've been having at our house. And you can listen in on that, and then you can, as the Spirit leads you, adopt some, modify others, But what I would encourage you to not do is nothing. So at the Vincent household, I thought, I'm going to ask my family at dinner how we expect 2019 to go and what we plan to do to make sure that it goes as well as it should. So in response, out of gratitude for what Jesus has done, I asked them last week, hey guys, how will we go in 2019? What's our plan to go? Ryan Vincent, Rachel Vincent, Matthew Vincent, and Audrey Vincent. And I put we because it's not even just the four of us. It's we. I believe we operate in the church collective, and then we are we are we made up of a bunch of eyes, not a bunch of eyes that add up to a we. I really think the order matters. I believe, how are we going to go in 2019? And if that's the plan, how do the Vincents fit into that? So uh, my wife is very wise. But I let her hold off. I wanted to hear what the kids had to say first. So I said, okay, guys, how are we going to go in 2019? And uh, Matthew didn't quite understand the question. He said, first, we need to get in the car. And I said, okay. Not bad. Let me explain to you what I mean by go. When we say go, we're going to live on mission. We're going to recognize that we have a body of believers here, but there are many people in our community and in our world who do not know Jesus and do not have the Spirit of God in them, and they need to experience transformation by encountering Jesus and having the Spirit fall on them and the transformation of the gospel, okay? That's what we need to do. How are we going to live such that people are drawn to that and our lives preach that and then we even preach that with our mouth? How are we going to do that? And... uh, Matthew likes to swing for the fences. He said, first, we need to tell Satan about Jesus. I said, he already knows about him, and here's the thing. And it got real deep for a second. I said, like, God only died for humanity, not for, for fallen angels, so Satan doesn't even have a gospel that he can believe in. He's very aware of it, and, uh, and so that added some confusion to it. But he said, we need to go tell... We need to go tell Satan about Jesus. And what I love about it is, as ridiculous and childish as it sounds, is I wish that I had his reckless abandon to just go for, like, the big wig. And if I can get him. You know, what I, what I see whenever I talk to my kids about things that I will write off as silly or childish is that there is a 
deep, deep kernel of truth in there. That he's, I mean, anyone could have walked through that front door at that moment and he was ready to preach the gospel to them. And I may have been tempted to find some excuses. I'd call it like tact. I'd call it like a long game of evangelism. It might actually be closer to cowardice. So we kept talking at the table. How are we going to go in 2019? First we asked, how did we do last year? It wasn't too bad. We went on some mission trips. We really, we, we got some opportunities to share the gospel here locally. But then we had to ask questions. Okay, so who has God given to us? Who's God placed in our lives that we have like a unique relationship with or that we can, we can have a, a, an opportunity to speak truth into their life? I love to call it like relational capital. Who doesn't know Jesus but they know me and they trust me and I need to spend that capital sharing the gospel with them? And have I thanked God for those people? And have I shared the truth of who God is with those people? We then asked, where has he placed us? Placed us in Stillwater. We have a neighborhood. We have neighbors. We have a church family. But that quickly turned into, well, I wonder if we need to go somewhere else for a while. I wonder if we need to to go on a short-term trip to to Ghana and just see what does it look like to do ministry with Austin and Amanda in in a world full of very real idolatry, like physical idolatry. What does church look like there? I don't want to go and fix them and Americanize them. I want to go and learn from them. What does, it learn, or what does it look like to go to Poland to learn from the church there how they do ministry in like a post-communist country that has just the deepest historical tears? How does the gospel speak to that group of people? Maybe we need to go spend some time in Mexico and understand that, man, they're so relational. They do not understand our progressive order of time, how things have to get done on schedule. They're very, like time is a relational concept to them. And I, can I learn something from that church? Can I encourage that church? Where has God placed me? Am I able to go to these other places? And what am I doing with this neighborhood? I have a neighbor here, a neighbor there. I have three neighbors across the street. What am I doing with these gifts God's given me? Have I thanked him for my neighbors and then responded by going? Matthew's right. Do we need to get in the car and go? Maybe, maybe we just need to walk across the street. There's, a, there's something else that is kind of reckless. Let's go tell Satan. Like that teaches me is like, are we interruptible? Have Rachel and I built a life that has a hard time being inconvenienced? Have I planned everything out such that there's no margin for the kingdom of God to interrupt me and ask me to move and go this way on mission? Those are hard questions to answer and Sometimes when we answer them truthfully, those are hard answers to stomach. So some of our options that we kind of came up with is, okay, so could we be more generous this year? In terms of going, could we be more generous? Could we give more to our church? Or we have a lot of missionaries leaving for a long-term mission. Could we give to them directly? Are there parachurch ministries that we could support? Maybe it's not even that complicated. Maybe we just need to go make someone a meal and serve them. Maybe we need to stop counting every penny as if it's ours to squeeze to the nth degree and maybe start setting aside both margin in terms of time and resources for the sake of the kingdom. What would 2019 look like if we started to reevaluate things along those lines? Yes, how are we going to do missions? Are there trips that we need to go on? Do we need to invite our neighbors over for a meal? 
Do we need to just share the gospel? The answer to that is always yes. But do we need to share the gospel? And here's the, here's the thing with us. is like I'm very comfortable sharing the gospel. I don't mind awkward conversations. I start them on purpose a lot of times. I'm comfortable with that. But do I put myself in, in like, like positions where I have an opportunity to do so? Maybe it's not that you're missing an opportunity, but that you're just nervous to do it. Maybe it scares you to share the gospel. I get that. I get that. But here's what I would say. Practice. Practice on somebody. Practice on me. I can be a very hostile unbeliever if you need me to. Practice. I'd love to work on how do we evangelize well. Look at someone who does it well and ask them, will you teach me what you're doing? How do you always find an opportunity to talk about Jesus? We can get better at these things. It's not hard. We just actually don't want to ask. Or maybe once we know, we feel like it's going to put a burden on us to use it and have those weird conversations. We need to evaluate. I'm still talking about Rachel and I. If any of this hits you, that's great. But we need to evaluate our day-to-day life and ask these two questions. Is the Spirit of God both necessary and evident to everything about who we are? Is the Spirit of God both necessary and evident in our lives? He's not necessary. Like if Rachel and I are able to pull off our day-to-day lives with no dependence whatsoever on the Spirit, with just our own wit and wisdom, I just, that doesn't seem like what Jesus recreated us to be and to do. And if and this is where I just, I'm going to come and ask people, do you see the spirit working in me? Do you, do you see the spirit in my marriage? Do you see the spirit in my family? And if not, I'm going to have to really repent and ask God, what am I doing to ignore you? We um, followed that up with the next question is, so how will we gather in 2019? How will we gather um, Audrey said, we just need to unlock the front door and open it. She's very, she's very adventurous. She, she's really like anyone, you walk down our street, she will invite you in. I'm gonna have to protect her from herself at some level, but she's very ready for anybody to come in and join her tribe. And uh, there's actually something really profound about that idea of living with an open front door. How many of you love your back porch? I'm sure you have nice back porches, but how many of you love it because it's quiet and away from everybody else? I wonder if we ought to become a bit more of a front porch kind of people. Be willing to be interrupted by someone walking down the street or to invite someone in for a drink. Again, maybe it comes back to, are we willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the kingdom My son said, here's what we need to do. We need to get some cards, send them to every single person we know, and invite them all to our house on the same day. Which just sounds kind of crazy, right? But, again, I see in him a, why would we not go for broke on this? Why are we going to be cautious? It's like at five, he believes in Jesus enough to just go in head first. And... 
Childish though he may be, there is something I admire about that in him. I feel like whenever some, like, you read through the scriptures and there's, there's all these calls to count the cost. It's like, I love the, the almost childish response to say, how about everything? How about it's worth everything? What if we just do that? Rachel and I are trying to respond with Jesus, or to Jesus with gratitude, and we're asking, okay, in terms of gathering, how did we do last year? And actually, we did better than we had in many years previous. Much of that is due to a conviction that Rachel had that we need to open our home more. We need to be more hospitable. We need to have people over. And part of that is going to be getting over having our house perfectly clean all the time. We have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. It's like trying to catch tornadoes nonstop. And so we just had to say, you know what? We're, we're brothers and sisters. You're going to have to get over the fact that this is a Lego minefield. That's just, that's what my house is now. And yes, the counter's sticky. My daughter loves toast with honey on it. Drives me crazy, but the whole counter is sticky. Welcome to my home. We had to, get, we had to become okay with that for the sake of Christian community. And, and I'm glad that Rachel, like that the Spirit convicted Rachel about that. I'm really glad that we're now doing this. And, and it's been a good year. And there's still work to be done. I have to ask myself, am I committed to the radical community that Jesus redeemed? And maybe the first thing that I've got to do in that regard is to evaluate, am I more of an individual-minded person or am I communally-minded? Um, how do we fill up our schedules we have 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Do, do we take all of that and allocate it to things that we want and like? Or are we willing to set some aside for the sake of you? Are we willing to go with a little bit of unscheduled time, of saying no to certain things that we like for the sake of you? Is our home open for you to just drop by. Our friends, when, they, when they're in trouble or they have a hard thing going on in their house when someone's sick, or, will they call us for help? Have we made sure that that's a very real option to them? Or do we look like people that can't be bothered? And the one that cuts me much deeper is, when I need help, will I call you? Historically, the answer has not usually been yes. I am more of a we will figure it out kind of person. You see, one of the, the lies that I think we've believed in our culture is the American concept of rugged individualism. So unbiblical, and it is so deep in so many of us. Hard work is very biblical. Responsibility is very biblical. Individualism is not. And I think that we would do well to understand the interconnectedness of the church and that when I refuse to let you help me, I'm actually robbing you of some of the gifts that God has given you in service of the church. We have to ask ourselves how we're doing in our life group. Are we serving them? Are we actually living as a family? 
Are we studying God's word well? Are we encouraging one another? Are we fellowshipping well? And maybe some of you need to ask, do I need to be in one? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Life groups aren't for everybody. Christian community is. I think it's a really good version of it. Let me tell you this, though. I've I've worked a lot with life groups and with life group leaders, and I'll tell you, there will never be a convenient time to join a life group. Such a thing does not exist. If you're waiting for the kids to get out of the house or life to slow down, the funny thing about us is that when there is time, we will fill it. You're going to have to decide, no, we're going to make some room for what we believe God is calling us to. Again, life groups aren't for everybody. But if you feel drawn to one but you just can't make it work, don't fall for the lie that it will ever get easier. Won't. Rachel and I have to ask ourselves, do we spend more time gathering with unbelievers or with believers? I get it. Going requires that we spend time with unbelievers. I get that. And gathering assumes we're spending time with believers. Here's the thing. I will, over time, look like who I spend time with. I will start to talk like you. I will start to think like you. I'll start doing things that you do. I'll start spending money on the same things you spend money on. I will even start to pray like you. I'll start growing like you. I'll do everything like you over time. So who do we spend the most time with and why? Am I surrounding myself with people that I want to be like or with people I'm trying to save? See, I need to spend time with Paul Weiss so that I can go spend time with an unbeliever, not the other way around. That equips me for that, not the other way around. And Rachel and I have to ask ourselves, how are we allocating our time with who and who are we spending it with? And then we had to ask, okay, so... We talked about going, we talked about gathering. How will we grow in 2019? Um, Ask my kids. Audrey said, we will eat a lot of food. That's how we'll grow. I said, well, that kind of goes against the resolution mentality. She said, okay, we'll take a lot of naps. I'm like, amen, sister. I'm in favor of you taking a lot of naps. And I explained it a little further, and Matthew had some better ideas. He said, we will go to church. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Then he followed that with, we will ask our mom. And I was a little offended because I'm the one asking the questions and I feel like I got some good answers. But we will ask our mom how to grow in 2019. Childish and five-year-old though he is, you see what he understands is, in order to grow, we will go to church, we'll gather. It's hilarious how he comes to the answers. How will we grow with everybody else at church? How will we grow? In his mind, he thinks mom. But can I translate it for you? Ask someone older, wiser, and more spiritually mature. It's like he stumbled onto the right answers. And then Rachel and I have to ask ourselves how we're going to do that. How are we going to gather well? How are we going to spend time with wiser, more mature believers? And then we have to ask, how did we do last year? Not bad. What are we going to do this year? But remember, we're talking gratitude here. When's the last time you thanked God in terms of your ability to grow? You thanked him for the scriptures. 
You have the scriptures in the language you speak. And even more than that, in English, we have the scriptures translated into just about every single reading level. There is no excuse not to know the words of the Lord. The last time you thanked him for his scriptures, thanked him for those that gave their lives and suffered so that they could be translated into the everyday common language so that you would know what God has said. We live in an age of infinite access. And sure, the internet has its terrible side, but it's also a gift. I have access to sermons, to Bible college lectures, to books, to information about the Jesus I claim to love so much. There's no lack of information. It might be difficult to sort through it and find the good stuff, but the one thing I'll never be able to say to God is that I, was, I did not have the world at my fingertips when it came to who you are. The last time we thanked him that he's revealed himself to us. When was the last time we thanked him that we live in a literate society where the vast majority of us can read these words and even understand them? And Rachel and I are sitting around thinking, okay, so what are we going to do? How are we going to grow? I realized, to my shame, I had no idea what my wife was reading in her daily scripture time. I haven't asked her in a while. I need to know that about her. She needs to know about me. We have to ask ourselves, what are, what are we going to do with Scripture this year? What's our plan? Are we going to do like a, a Bible reading plan together? Are we going to do our things separate? Are we going to do the read the Bible in a year? Are you going to read the Psalms? Are you going to be in Romans? What's your plan? Um, I have a suggestion if you want one. We're preaching through Acts. We're going to be in Acts for some time yet. We start in chapter 9 next week. If you read... Acts is part two to the book of Luke. If you read Acts and Luke, that's 52 chapters. If you read one chapter a day for this entire year, you would read the gospel and the birth of the church seven times. Seems like a pretty good reading plan to me. It's actually what I'm going to do. How will you saturate yourself with the word of God this year? How are we going to do that with our kids? What resources are we not taking advantage of? Well, we have right now media, for crying out loud. You know the church like pays for that, for all of you to have it? If you don't have it, go on our website, go to media, right now media, and you can sign up. 15,000 Bible studies on there. The one thing the Lord will not accept is any excuse that said you did not have enough information about him. We have to ask, when can Rachel and I sit and learn? I spend a lot of time teaching. When do I sit and learn? I need to be learning too. You need to ask, what about encounter? Men's, women's encounter? Those are great areas for growth. If you haven't gone to men's encounter, you can still sign up. It's going, they're leaving in a couple of weeks, and it's incredible. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to join a Sunday school class. If you need to go to school of theology, or if all of it's a little too much for you, go to the basics class. It starts in a couple of weeks. How are you growing? How are we growing? I'm not trying to pile any of this on. And actually, I really don't want to give you a long to-do list. I'll let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do. 
But let me underscore how important these questions are for you to ask at your dinner table very soon. Jesus tells a story regarding the kingdom of God. This story has a a landowner, a master, three servants. To the first servant, Jesus give, or the, the master gives five talents, an enormous amount of money, an incredible amount of money. The second guy gives him two talents, still an incredible amount of money. And to the third guy, he gives one, still an incredible amount of money, with the expectation that in his absence, they will grow this. The first two, take five, and multiply it into 10. When he returns, here's your 10. When he returns, he took two and turned it into four. Here you go. Here's your four. To them, Jesus says that the master said, this is Matthew 25, verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's awesome. We should all eagerly desire to hear that. Because you know what the parable is about. Jesus is the, the master. You and I are the servants. The estate is the kingdom. Master leaves, servants multiply what resources they've been given in service of the kingdom. When the master returns, he will ask, what have you done with what I entrusted to you? We should all eagerly desire to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. But to the last guy, given one talent, Find out later in the parable that he was scared of the master because of what the master might do to him. So rather than risk the resource and invest it, he squirreled it away, buried it. When the master returns, he says, you gave me one talent, here's your one talent back. In verse 28, the master says, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will, be, will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus seems to imply rather strongly that this is a big deal. What we do with 2019 matters. What we did with 2018 mattered. It seems like the only non-option is to do nothing. And it's pretty stark what happens to those who do. But let me encourage you guys. I was reading through the book of Galatians the other day, and I realized in the back half of Galatians just how powerful you and I are when it comes to living out the ethics and the expectations of the kingdom because of the Spirit of God in us. Not because of us, but because of the Spirit of God in us. And I'm just going to summarize. You're welcome to go and read Galatians, of course. But I'm just going to summarize some of the truths we find in the book of Galatians. It says in Galatians 3 that you and I are heirs with Jesus to the kingdom. Heirs with Jesus. And as a result, we have the Spirit of God in us. And that Spirit cries out to the Father on our behalf. You might say, wow, I don't know if I can do any of this. You're co-heir with the king. You have the very spirit of God in you. 
In Galatians 4, we are told by the Apostle Paul that we are a son or a daughter of the loving God who will grow us into maturity. In Galatians 5, we are told that if our love for our brothers and sisters is growing, that is not us. That's the Spirit working in us. But we are growing. Later in Galatians 5, Paul tells us to walk by the Spirit. And as we do, the fruit of the Spirit grows in us. You know, I cannot teach you to have the fruit of the Spirit up here or in any classroom. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's one package deal, and it comes with the Spirit of God in you, and it will grow as you submit your life to the Spirit. As you look like the world less and less and like Jesus more and more, that's the Spirit working in you. You do not have to be the fool who is terrified of the master. You can be the one who will take the master's resources and use it for the kingdom. Going, gathering, and growing are a bit of a package deal. You cannot do one well without doing the others. And I'm convinced that you can't do too well without the other one kind of accidentally happening. I think they just, they integrate so well. And I'm asking us, can we do these better in 2019? Can we be more intentional with the conversations that we have around our dinner tables? Sure, make a plan to eat healthier. Sounds good. Could we make plans to be more like Christ? You look at all this and it's a rather long list and you say, that's a lot of changes to make. Do you need help? So do I. We all need help. But you know the most common way that I see the Spirit of God work these things out? Through the other people in the room that he indwells. So if you're sitting here saying, I cannot make the changes in my life that 2019 seems to require. I would say, that's true, alone you can't. But together we can. Uh, I can with great confidence say that you've never expected to do it alone. We are here to help. Do not let 2019 go by. Let's do this together. And by the power of the Spirit working in you and through you and in your brothers and sisters and through your brothers and sisters, we can take what little we've been given and produce great fruit and hear the Master say, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you're still not convinced, just look around this room at the help you have, the resources you have. And if you're a staff, raise your hand and then keep it up. If you're an elder, raise your hand, keep it up. If you're a life group leader, raise your hand, keep it up. If you're a ministry volunteer at any capacity, raise your hand and keep it up. Look at all these people that would love to help you. I'd love to help you. I, I'd love to help you. Call me. My number is 405-313-6081. Call me. I don't have all the answers, but I'm well-connected to a group of people that have the spirit of God in them. We'll figure it out. Not as rugged individualists either. We'll figure it out as a church, as a body of believers. 
405-313-6081. I'm not kidding. Can you put the vision and the mission slide back up real quick? This is idealistic. It's high-minded, it's shooting for the stars, and it is entirely feasible. Not because of any talent in the room, but because of the Spirit of God in us. Heirs with Christ, with the Spirit of the living God animating our new lives in Christ. 2019 could be a great year. So I'll close with this. Out of gratitude for everything that God has done through Jesus and through the Spirit, what conversations do you need to have at your dinner table tonight? When it comes to going, gathering, and growing, what do you need to ask one another? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you've spoken to us so clearly about who you are and about what you expect of your people. Father, I know that your call to Christ-likeness is not easy. For some, it doesn't feel possible. For others, they feel like they're fighting against their spouse's apathy. In any of these situations, Lord, you are sovereign still and your spirit is not weak. May we develop a real taste for your kingdom. May we develop an insatiable hunger for the things of God. Father, where we have done well, encourage our hearts. And where we've not done so well, convict our hearts. And all along the way, move us by the power of your Holy Spirit for greater and greater degrees of Christ-likeness and holiness. It's to you, by the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Go and do 2019 well.